Hello, I'm here with Andrew Colcher, who's uh, been on the music in the in local music scene in Ipswich and around Suffolk for quite some time now. He's got a new project he's going to be talking about. Um, we're just going to have a little chat for a bit. Um, yeah. So uh, I think you're one of the perfect people to, to talk about for this page, where we just focus on Suffolk characters, really, and um, just try to get the, the positive side of of this great place to live. And um, have you lived here all, all your life? I've always lived in Suffolk, but I, I moved to Ipswich when I was about 18. Like a lot of people who grew up in the villages around Suffolk, as soon as I got a driving licence, it was like a elastic band being released. I was <laughs> shot out of the village I grew up in quick as anything. But partly it was because of the music. I'd start playing in a band in Ipswich uh, with a friend who was from Rubber Genadai who was in Ipswich. So it was just sort of, to be honest, I, I could say it was a cultural reason I met a girl. <laughs> I met a girl and that's why I moved to Ipswich and oh, I'm, I'm still with her now all, all these years later but yeah I, we'll say it's the cultural reasons yeah and, <laughs> and um, just say the word, the word culture there you're, you're known as Andrew Culture for quite a while now is it? I think it's been since probably the 90s and it was only ever I never chose the name it was just the way what people called me because I was in a band called Junk Culture and I think this still kind of happens now. You've got like Ricky, who, who was in Red Flag, or is in Red Flag, so everyone knew him as Ricky Flag, and just that's how you knew everyone by their surnames. But I kind of stuck with it because I started writing, uh, well, I sort of started taking writing a bit more seriously around 2000 or so, and decided I didn't want to use my actual name. I want to kind of have a pen name yeah. and then a stage name. So I just kind of, I, I, I didn't refuse it, I think, <laughs> would be yeah. the best way to put it. I let it stick. Yeah. I mean, um, junk culture is still well remembered in Ipswich, I think, from my circle of friends and looking on uh, certain Facebook pages often pop up. Um, was, that, was that the first band you was in? First band I was in in Ipswich. I was in kind of loads of bands. I, all my friends went to Woodbridge School. I went to Thomas Mills in Fram, but all my friends went to Woodbridge School, so they'd all had music lessons. So being in bands was kind of just what, what we did. But so, kind of, yeah, junk culture was my first Ipswich band. I think we're probably remembered more because there weren't that many bands about at the time. <laughs> Every gig in the 90s seemed to be Love Junk, Red Flag, Cheese, remember them? No. Um, and, and Junk Culture, that seemed yeah. to be it. It seemed to be almost every single gig was, was a combination of, of those bands and we were always on first to, to warm the stage <laughs> up. <laughs> lower the expectations of the punters, I think. And um, what, what venues did you play back then? Has it has much changed where, where the local bands? Yeah, it has, it has quite a lot. The Silver Star was in use a lot. Okay, yeah. And I started putting gigs on again there kind of a few years later on from that, around the early, early sort of 2000s. But old times, a lot of gigs were, right. were put on at, because they had like a hall out the back, which was trashed. It had like <laughs> smashed windows and there was nothing in there. Yeah. And gigs back then, we, we had like a 100 watt PA and it, putting gigs on just seemed to be really, really easy. Just yeah. you, you just told a few of your friends where you were going to be, and people would turn up. There wasn't a lot of competition, and there wasn't a lot going on. I don't think. Okay, is there nothing with um, some older local gigs? Um, it always seems like they were really busy, but do you think that's because there was actually less gigs happening? I think absolutely. There's. I was talking about this with some of my current bandmates recently, saying that I've never done a gig in Berry that's been empty, um, and I was saying, well, you know, clearly the Berry scene's very supportive and whatever, but. Friend Rocky and my, my guitarist, well, he'd love me, him, him saying <laughs> he's my guitarist, the guitarist, our, our fearless band leader. 
Um, he pointed out that they don't have that many gigs. So yeah. when there are gigs in Bury, everyone goes. And I think it used to be the same in Ipswich. So we remember back to there always being a lot of people, but there was also a golden age. And I, I don't, I shouldn't say that because the best time is always now. Yeah. But there was this amazing time between sort of 2000, 2006, where being in a band was the in thing for a lot of kids at like the local high school, so like Copleston, Northgate. And we had bands like the Waxing Captors yeah. started kind of filling places up and they'd, all their friends from, from um, high school would yeah. turn up. So we got to the stage that myself and my then bandmate, who's a guy called Graham, who's now in Fisticuffs. Oh, Graham Man, yeah. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to, we were putting on three, four gigs a month at the Maybush or the Mulberry Tree or whatever it was called at the time <laughs> and the Steamboat and they were rammed. Every yeah. It almost didn't matter who we booked. We'd yeah. have to... We'd have to stop letting people in about eight o'clock because there was no more space. But unfortunately, those kids grew up, went to university, and things sort of quietened down yeah. a, bit, a bit after that. But it's strange because I, I was putting gigs on a few years after, not not long after, sort of two thousand ten maybe, and you'd never have to worry about it clashing with if you put a punk gig on, you wouldn't have to worry about it clashing with another punk gig. Um, whereas now, I'd, if I was if I put on a gig at the, the pub I work at. I'd, I'd definitely check if anything else was on. But yeah, I think we, because it was a smaller scene, we were, we were all quite good with each other. I started Ipswich Gigs. I run a website called IpswichGigs.co.uk. Although at time of recording, there's not a lot on there <laughs> at the moment. But the, the absolute reason I started that was so that me and the guys from Blank Gen Collective, who were putting on a lot of gigs, and a couple of the other promoters, just so we knew what each other were doing and we wouldn't clash because we knew that people going to gigs was a finite resource so we kind of we had a bit of a cartel we sort of decided that you know if i'm going to put a gig on on this saturday it wouldn't just be i'd prefer it you know i'd prefer it if you didn't it would be if well if you're going to bring a band in from the other side of the country that's going to cost you a couple of hundred pounds then other promoters won't put anything on for a few weeks either yeah. side of that just to, to kind of make absolutely sure and then we kind of had this we got to a stage that we just had this sort of embarrassment of riches where there were so many bands around and you know, we counted them once in about 2006 we counted I think there was 87 active bands in Ipswich yeah. which you're thinking back is is mind-blowing now it was just yeah. it was crazy so I think we we just all forgot to do that in the end but you no know, gig clashes now they they still concern me and I still think it's unhelpful and um, it's mainly because putting on gigs is a a really good way to lose a load of money yeah e even if you don't have to it's just it's i'm not gonna sit here and moan because it's great and we love it but yeah, yeah. but it, it's unhelpful i think when when there are clashes yeah because also music isn't as tribal as it once was so if you were putting on a punk gig for example if actually i would have been putting on punk gigs as well but let's say for argument's sake if you were putting on a punk gig and somebody else is putting on a metal gig and someone else is putting on a scar gig the the three crowds wouldn't really mix the metal people would only go to the metal gigs the punks yeah. would only go to the punk gigs but we've lost that sort of tribalism has gone with music which is a really good thing yeah. but it now means that if you're going to put on a you know, punk band then you know the electronica crew are just as likely to turn up as the, the metalers or anyone else which yeah. is awesome but it does make things a bit yeah, trickier yeah. I think that's the way music's kind of gone that way in general because of music actually crossing over mm. you know there's, there's so many bands now who could be classed as punk or metal hmm. uh, and you know they mix up things in which probably wasn't so much of 20 years ago 
it was happening, but not to the extent, I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never really figured out why. I don't know if it's because we used to get a lot of music from reading zines, and the people who put out the zines, myself included, we'd be really into a type of music. And I can remember when I was very young buying zines from Rex Records, which was a uh, you know, long defunct Ipswich record shop. And you'd buy a punk zine, and m most of the content of the zine would be taking the piss out of and trying to alienate <laughs> the metlers. Yeah. yeah. So it was, <laughs> I, I never really got. No. So I think, yeah, it's not so tribal, but it's, it's probably for the best. Yeah. yeah it's it's and that's why you've got in so, so many more interesting bands about now, because we're, we're not stuck in this very strict yeah, I mean, kind of boundary. I mean, only, only recently they've stopped um, printing, I know it's not a zine, but Krang. Mm. And that started out as just a metal magazine I can remember in the 90s when they started writing about even they started writing about grunge mm. a lot of people hated it <laughs> and they didn't understand that you know they've got to sell magazines so it wasn't like they were putting bros in there mm. but so they but they had to you know music was more accessible for, to people yeah. in a way and there was different things coming in and looking back now you wouldn't you wouldn't believe they didn't have sort of grunge in in that magazine yeah, absolutely and um, same, I remember people really kicking off when Ash were written about in there because they had short hair, I imagine. Oh, God, but Ash, like, Ash, when they first started, were a metal band. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were 15 year olds as well, weren't they? They were young, yeah. into, you know, just making a noise, and that's kind of what the magazine was about, you know? I saw Ash, um, without just sound like too much of an old sad bastard, I saw Ash supporting Elastica at the waterfront, and it was the loudest oh, thing I'd ever heard. Oh. But it bad loud. Tim oh, Wheeler oh. was so young, he only had a 10 watt practice amp. <laughs> And they'd mic'd up and put it through the massive PA at the wall. It was horrific sounding. Oh, Terrible. God. That would have been probably, what, sort of trailer era before 1977? Oh, no, it was well before 1977. Yeah. But, yeah, well, this is when bands used to start touring. Then you wouldn't get an album for two or three years. Yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing in mid-90s, 93, 94, the band Skin played the, the Corn Exchange. They'd only released two EPs. And they're headlining then, that just wouldn't happen nowadays. No, no, I saw, yeah, I saw Blur on the There's No Other Way tour at the Corn Exchange. Yeah. <laughs> man, and Muse supported Feeder at the Corn Exchange. Really? Yeah, in about, it has been at 95, 96. Feeder had a bit of a long-running kind of thing with it, Switch, because they played the Drummer Monkey as well. Yeah, I was too young to go to that gig. I was, it was an 18 plus and I was 16, I think, when that happened. I think I was, I can't remember. I think it's yeah. cause then I was still living kind of out of Ipswich yeah. and if you didn't drive you couldn't, you couldn't I couldn't yeah. get the bus in because yeah. I was earning seven pound or six pound <laughs> fifty I am sound like an old bastard <laughs> now so earning six pound fifty a week doing a paper round yeah. and the bus into town was like three pound eighty yeah so it <laughs> took about two hours yeah. so so yeah, I remember I remember the feeder one because one of my mates band supported oh who was that uh, I, can't, I can't even remember who it was but someone I knew oh, was in the support band was. and um I'll have, to, I'll have a think and I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, and because they played there, then the Coin Exchange, and they played the Regent as well, Feeder, later on. Wow. So I think it may be, maybe it was just because they toured a lot. But I remember speaking to them at uh, um, it was a signing in Colchester. And I asked them, you know, how come you've come to Ipswich more than a lot of bands? And they were like, well, we just got booked, but a lot of bands have put off Ipswich by it's so close to university. Mm. You know, back then, there was, the uni's nothing like it was now. And um, yeah, everyone would play Norwich, Cambridge, or London, and Ipswich. Seem to always get skipped out, but then it did used to, and we still get skipped to a certain extent. I think, I mean, we don't have a 400 to 1000 capacity venue, we've got the smokehouse, which is fantastic, and they, they do amazing things for bringing in really big bands like during Independent Venue Week and whatever. Yeah. And they, they 
I know some of the guys there are just very well connected. And the stuff you're, you're doing, we're recording this at the, um, so you tell them my podcast <laughs> host as well, I keep explaining <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, recording this at the Brewers Arms, and like some of the stuff that's happened here is, in reality, you wouldn't have got years ago, because mm. bands would have expected to be playing kind of bigger places, with, yeah. and have a dressing room and whatever, yeah. and now, yeah, I think it's, 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 people are a lot, bands are a lot more humble. I don't get the dickhead attitude that we used to get from bands yeah. now. Putting bands on, it got so bad that <clears throat> Graham and I had a rule that if a band had a manager, we wouldn't book them. Because yeah, right. if they had a manager, it was a sign they were going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. For, for pub gigs, expecting a ridiculous rider was a thing I used to get. And I'm like, you, well, you, you want us to provide you X amount of bottles of water? And I've had that. I used to put on gigs at what was a mobile tree, it was a beer house, it was called for a bit mm. when we put gigs on there. And some of these tour and bands, I'm just like, really? I mean, I'll buy you a pint, but do you know what I mean? It was. We, we never had that trouble at the Steamboat because we'd get bands there and Val. I can remember the first time we put on a band called Once Over who were touring and they'd been literally sleeping on pavements like yeah. in Wolverhampton on a Tuesday and they got there and Val cooked them a meal and she sent them away the next day with packed lunch and took, <laughs> I can remember the band being almost in tears yeah. so the next tour they did they'd, they'd got bigger and they were playing bigger venues and had better supports but on the tour they'd still come back to the steamboat because they knew they'd get looked after and they used to turn up with presents for Val and they used to do like <laughs> pot plants and oh. stuff like that that's, that's that's nice. I mean, so with every gig up, we've tried to treat the bands well. It's when they come in with the expectations, mm. it's like, nah, you're more likely to look after them if they just ask for nothing. And then you. It's you still know. that, because I'm. I don't really play in punk bands now, but I'm, that's very much where I'm from, the sort of the punk DIY circuit. And a lot of the gigs I've done in bands sort of a while ago now would be heading out with no money coming back with no money but yeah. staying around you know various friends houses around the country and being really well looked after so when bands come to me and they they have a list of demands it's a bit like i did a gig once i'm not going to say where or who with but there was a band who didn't want to play because one of their effects pedals had stopped working and i was just oh come on yeah, that, yeah. that's just just remember just plug straight into your amp just, just remember yeah. how it works to be yeah. a band, and just make make something. Exactly. It's, it's like, I, I still like the rock and roll attitude, mm. and to pull out something for that isn't very rock and roll, is it? It's not. But the the band, the band scene, and within bands, has always been quite good at weeding out people like that. Yeah. Whenever I see someone with a real attitude, I say it has, it's, things have changed. But if I see a band with a real attitude, I know they're not going to last. I put on a gig with. Drowned in Sound, God knows how this happened, but drowndinsound.com and me put on a gig at the Drummer Monkey and there was a band and they walked in and the singer said, oh great, it's amateur night. Um, and I was like, okay, here we yeah. go. No, not, and yeah, before long their name had disappeared because no one would book them. Because if, yeah. you, if you're a jerk to a promoter, and this still stands, if you're a jerk to a promoter, word gets around, no one wants to deal with you. Exactly, and it gets around quickly because... I find well, a lot of promoters do actually get on with each other. There's a yeah. bit of competition, but more likely they want to help each other out, a bit like we were saying earlier. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if, if I booked a band and, and they were asses, my mate who promotes other gigs, I, I'd tell them. You know, it's one of those, you do want to help each other out. Yeah. And that's a great thing about like, the local music scene, I think. And on, the, on a smaller scale, it's, it is you, you help each other out. It's, it's much like you mentioned Smokehouse Across the Road. We want to help each other out here and there because we'd be stupid not to. For well, the Brewers Arms, the official after party venue for <laughs> gigs at the Smokehouse, yeah. isn't Which, it? There'll be a big after party, hopefully, in a few months. 
when, well, hopefully we can put gigs on again. Excellent. Look forward to it. Oh, so do I. It's just taken too long. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about the current quickly. Um, what, what music projects are you working out on at the moment? I'm in a band called These Are End Times, and we're probably the least prolific band ever, and the slowest. We move at a glacial speed. We released our second album five years after recording it, and that came out a couple of Novembers ago. And annoying, we were we were about to start. We were rehearsing again and getting back up and running again uh, before kind of COVID happened. Um, apart from that, I do solo stuff as Marin Scale, which tends to me just. I don't know what it is. I, <laughs> I press buttons. I was billed by, by someone locally as come and watch Andrew Culture standing behind a desk. <laughs> I'd like to think there's a bit more yeah. to it than that. And then kind of one of my favourite things at the moment, I'm in a band called Dystopian Sound Collective with a couple of friends. And we're just we're like an electronic party band. We yeah. we tend to get put on sort of half two in the morning at festivals like there's a brilliant festival local Cosmic Puffin. And we're we're the band that when everyone can barely stand up and just wants to dance around to something, that, that's where we come in. It's not nothing kind of intellectual. It's nothing particularly <laughs> fancy, but you'll you'll have a good time. It's good. Yeah. It's it's good music, and and you you can't help have a good time. Yeah, and one of the, one of the last gigs I went to before the lockdown was you when you when you played the Smokehouse. Oh right. Um, did we make a mess? You did. There yeah, was like there was jigsaw puzzles, and um, that that would have been early this year, possibly. Yeah, it was with, I'm trying to remember who it was, it was put on by Matt Catling, who's a proper troubadour of its um, Fe Fempop. That's it, Fempop, yeah, that's yes, right. It, yeah, yeah. Matt, has, I actually had a coffee with him earlier, he popped yeah, by. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you're doing, you know, just it, three different interesting projects, mm. which, is, which is good. Um, you know, coming from the punk scene as well, it's, it's nice to, to see people go and do different things. And you're clearly still a punk at heart as well. Oh, very much so, but that, coming back to the sort of the detribalization is that a word <laughs> the kind of yeah, the detribalization of music just just because that's that's where my heart was was and that's yeah. still kind of a lot of bands I go and see live or festivals I go to are still punk festivals but we we're we're free now we can do what we want yeah. so you can be you know an indie kid and muck around with metal or be a metaler and and, and muck around with electronica and that's exactly what's happening locally like like um Darren who puts on the metal gigs he does electronic electronica stuff as well yeah, you know yeah. it's, it's, we can do what we want this is a good time this is yeah. that's why me i don't want to get misty-eyed about the past because now is the best time well, exactly. it's absolutely but the best time just remember when i mentioned i used to put gigs on at the what was then the beer house um they were, they were metal nights and i was working with a guy i won't say who he is and he asked me to bring in some different bands or help him bring in different bands to get more people in and, mm. and make it so it wasn't the same sort of four fresh bands you always played ipswich so I've got some sort of heavier indie bands, some pop punk bands, and some hard rock bands, and he hated it. Oh, really? Because it was too different. And I'm like, well, what do you want for different? <laughs> you know, someone with a slightly different patch denim jacket. You know. <laughs> oh, so, um, and in it's the like, end, which type of music? Oh, we play both types, country <laughs> and western. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's what sort of pushed me to do my own thing, which mm. I, I did do for a few years prior to. To you know, work in in pubs as opposed to working for pubs. This is the one thing. Another thing I like about Barry, people like Seymour and the gigs. Um, I don't know. He hasn't kind of gone grey, but he'll put on five or six bands at a gig. Every single one of them will be a completely different genre. But again, I think it's because Barry's that much smaller that they they can do that and yeah. they can have. I've I've tried to do mixed lineups myself, and it kind of confuses. One of the last gigs that 
or a gig I put on last year over at Smokehouse was Dystopian Sound Collective. And I say we're like techno party rave. I don't know what we are, but it's fun stuff. And we we put on a skiffle band to, as our support act. And I don't think anyone knew what to make of that really. They were great. Though. <laughs> That's I mean I, I I like the variety and, and stuff. And um, I get a bit annoyed. Yesterday they announced like the download lineup. And it's all complaining, you know. Oh, really? There's like 200 bands, and if people don't like 10 of them, they feel the need to, to talk, you know, to have a moan. They don't talk about what they like, hmm. um, which is a, a. But maybe that's just an internet thing. People aren't like that so much in person, I don't think. Um, but, as I just mentioned, internet, um, you're going to be starting a new podcast yourself. I am, yeah. I, I've been doing a podcast for work for a long time, which I might as well mention. It's called Internet Marketing for Humans. And it started off being strictly a work thing, but then I started interviewing people that I just sort of found interesting or inspiring. And I realised it was it was in danger of wandering, wandering too far away from what it's supposed to be. So with the democratisation of technology and whatever now, anyone can start a podcast for free. So I want to do one, it's not a million miles away from this really, just finding interesting people. Because there's a, there's there's so many stories that have been lost over the years, especially locally. Just before we started recording this, we were speaking to his name Howard. Howard, yeah, yeah. Yep, Howard, and he <laughs> immediately started telling us about a, a couple of stories, and I just thought I don't want those to be lost because yeah. we're sitting here, and to be fair, both of us are a bit younger than most people who are still on the Ipswich music scene, and they're, they're always talking about you know all these gigs that happened at pubs I haven't existed for a long time, and there's no record of it. I was going to make a documentary couple of years ago called The Ugly Truth About Ipswich which was also the name of an album that I, I put out with a local label and the idea was that we, I was going to make a documentary to try and document all Ipswich music between 1975 and now and it kind of ground to a halt because there isn't anything, there's no material and sadly kind of a bunch of the people who I could have interviewed are no longer around like members, next members of ENT um, and a few other people and it just sort of ground to a halt. I was like, so I don't want I don't want us to kind of lose our lose our heritage. It's, yeah. it's not about kind of looking back on a golden past so much as acknowledging and going, oh, do you know what? That's really cool. That's a really yeah. nice thing. And we have the ability to capture so much video, photos, everything now. In fact, I, I did have a website years ago called I've just remembered called HipswichGigPhotos.co.uk. I'd literally forgotten that existed. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm going to have to find that now. There might be a lot of stuff on there. Well, there is. I will have yeah. archived it somewhere. Yeah. I, mean, I lost a lot of stuff from the gigs that I put on through MySpace. So I put oh, loads on no. there, <laughs> and that's all gone. Yeah. And I, I really regret Like now. It's like, with, with this recording, I'll, I'll back it up twice. Yeah. You know, um, and it's, like you say, there, there is that era, especially, I mean, I started going to gigs late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Um, like, we mentioned bands like, like Feeder and stuff playing Ipswich. And um, I've got, I wouldn't have taken a camera and taken a physical picture. Yeah. I am one who gets annoyed by too much filming at gigs or whatever. But the odd snap, a little short video, is nice. Yeah. And um, if, if you met a band outside a gig, if there was, you know, you'd get an autograph, you wouldn't get a photo with them. Yeah. Whereas now, we, we can do that. But it's that period, even giving free CDs out at gigs, I wish I'd kept them. I might yeah. still have some knocking about, but I remember bands like Rosalita or Charlie Brown would all yeah. give CDs out, some, you know. And most of these would have just been thrown away or misplaced over the years. And there's some great music there. I shudder to think how many CDs from gigs became bird scarers at my allotment or <laughs> coasters. Yes, or I say coasters. In the we could have 
use them now to save some money. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things where now it's, you know, put an MP3 online or just stream it. Yeah, you can, and I love how accessible that is, but yeah. there is there is a kind of a lack of permanence. I'm reading a biography of Led Zeppelin at the moment, um, which is disappointing in a lot of ways, because they sound like they were bastards. But um, which, which one are you reading? Cause I've when, got, um, when Giants Walk the Earth. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But, uh, as an aside, one of the things I did when I was reading it, because a lot, they talk in that a lot about the decisions that were made on the artwork for the albums. So I walked through to my you know, the other room in my house, I've got more than two rooms. I'd make it sound like <laughs> yeah, the room I'm crapping and the room I eat in. Um, so I went through and I, I got the records out, and they're big, massive things. You've got to look at vinyl now, and yeah. beautiful, great big things. And, and I say I don't like to get misty-eyed about the past, but it was nice when you went to a gig, and if you liked a band and bought their CD, then yeah. or their tape, going back further, yeah. well, their tapes are always shit in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, um, <laughs> you. You felt like you had something, and it was you know that that line of vinyl I've got, and I've still got hundreds and hundreds of CDs. It's a thing. It's a, yeah. it's it's not fleeting. It's something you could sort of get get your hands into. Whereas now I find bands on Spotify or Apple that I really like, and then if I don't make a note of them, I forget who they are, and they're gone to me. They're completely yeah. lost to me after that. Then if I, I'm, I'm one for buying a, if I see a support band. Mm. Um, I was in Nottingham, um, Rock City, not long ago, and I liked the support band. I lost my watch there. You didn't see it, did you? Uh, I played there. It might, it might have been one of the seven on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're always losing watches. You said earlier about um, Electric Ballroom. No, no, yeah, no. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, a friend of mine who's older than me said, yeah, the problem with going to gigs at the Electric Ballroom is you'd always lose your watch to a skinhead. I said, what? He said they'd come up and they'd go, oh, it's a nice watch. Can I just show it to my friend? And he said he just used to go, oh, go on then. You know you're never getting it back. So it was just easier than, than getting in any grief. Yeah. But and Rock City, and there was a band I really liked. Had a few drinks. There was like about three bands on before him. Went to buy a CD. They didn't have one, but told me I could listen to them on Spotify. Not quite uh, the same. And is it? Um, you know, it's two weeks. Well, two. No more than that. God knows how many months later. Mm. And I haven't gone back and listened to them. If I'd had a CD, I'd have got home and put it in that player. I've been trying to think of ways of of countering that. I mean, we give out stickers, yeah. loads of stickers now, because I want I want something. I want someone to have something physical. The yeah. stickers is, is a fairly cheap thing to do, but I looked into like doing USB sticks to give people, and unfortunately, those things sort of things are still expensive. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people don't. <laughs> a friend of mine gave me a tape. His his local band. And I really like the band. They're called Labrique, and he gave me a tape. And I was like, thanks, but can't what, play it. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, um, strange. And sort of. Vinyl's come back from a sort of collecting point of view, and they're, they're so trying to get tapes to come back again. And I was so we were look, we, I'm old enough to say we were so pleased when tapes went away. Yeah, yeah. We were so pleased when briefly mini discs came in, and then swiftly got replaced by C. We I, we were pleased. Yeah. I, I know that some scenes still really like their tapes, but I don't miss them at all. I don't. And if you want to skip a track, you got to go right past it, and it was just a, and the <laughs> tape would always get chewed up. I mean, Brad. And don't laugh, when I was about seven, eight, I had Bon Jovi, Slipper and Wet, right, on cassette. I think everyone did, they just issued is it. it. Yes. <laughs> so they just went door to door in Britain and said, right, yeah, this is your issue. copy. Yeah. <laughs> but during the things Wanted Dead or Alive, the tape would, just, would always flip over, mm. and I heard a bit of Raise Your Hands. And whenever I hear that song to this day now, or either one, I expect to hear that bit of the other <laughs> song. And I could never fix it, it would never let me Same with vinyl, I kind of got records, first Stone Roses album, always bought records second hand because never had any money 
and there's scratches on that record that it flipped me out when I heard the CD the first time because the scra- yeah. they didn't have the scratches. I expected little bits to repeat yeah. and whatever, and it really confused me. Yeah, that's what I mean. Back then as well, you'd listen to the album all the way through. Mm. Sometimes a song will end, and I expect to hear another song because mm. of hearing it in that order. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, it's all but. So people don't tend to listen to albums as albums. They don't, and although I've been meaning to write an article or something about this for ages, there, there used to be the concept of the perfect album, and I, I know a few albums, uh, first Stone Roses album, first Manson album, there's an album by a band called Torch called Meanderthal, where all the songs were in completely the right order, as one finished it was the perfect song to happen next, there wasn't a duff song on the whole thing, and I think it's kind of a shame that that that's kind of lost. I like that some bands do still name collections of songs as albums, but I don't think they're recorded or intended in the same way, no. really. There's a, yeah, a lot of albums, are, there's, well, I suppose this has happened for, for a while now, back when bands used to release singles in sort of three parts to make mm. money. You know, oh, and gosh, uh, yeah. They'd release, say, four, three, four singles, and then the album comes out, and it's almost like that album's nearly a best of before it's released. Um, and I don't think years ago it used to be quite as like that. You'd record an album as an album and then pick the singles. Well, I was really into Blur, sort of up until Park Life, because then I was an indie snob and didn't like the fact, <laughs> didn't like the fact everyone else likes them. Yeah. But kind of prior to that, yeah, you'd you'd get the, a single, and then there'd be a different version of the single released a week later. And then, as you say, sometimes a third one. And then you got to the stage with Blur that, like, by the time Park Life came out, Every single would be a seven inch would have a B side, a twelve inch would have three different B sides, yeah. the tape would have a different B side, yeah. and then the C D would have I can't remember, possibly two or three. But you'd get an album's worth of songs yeah. th- like three times and then the album would come out. I was just thinking how many songs those bands must have churned out. That's what I mean, is um I can remember um there's that and then Terrorvision would release a free part and all the b-sides you'd have a, a best of live album because yeah. it'd have all live tracks <laughs> on it but um a lot of bands um i remember well recently they re-released all the old wild hearts albums mm-hmm. with a second disc all the b-sides and the second disc would be longer than the album sure the coolest things i saw a band playing in ipswich do is a band from south end called the big and their second album i think was two discs and the first they were a scar band and the first disc was a Scar album, and the second disc was the same songs, but each one of them done in a different style. That's cool. And yeah, I think that is one of the coolest things yeah. I've seen a local band ever do. Yeah. God knows how they do it. They must have been <laughs> actually musicians or something. <laughs> but I, mean, I sort of miss those days of just sort of, you get that B side which was a gem, mm. and, um, but now it's just it's the old more bands release these tracks. Well, let's yeah. find a way to, to do something interesting. Let's, yeah. let's find the next thing. I say, it's, it's kind of cool. I'm a bit of a stickler, and I keep going on about it, but that, that stuff is cool, and I love talking about it, and it's really special to me, but I want to know what's next. Yeah. I, I, it's one of the things that still excites me about music, as old as I am. I'm making myself sound like I'm about <laughs> 70 now. I'm not that old. I'm still a baby compared to some, yeah. some bands in yeah. Ipswich. But yeah, I want to know what's next. What's yeah. going to be the next cool thing? What, what, yeah. what, what are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to find? What's going to pop up and surprise us? Because it constantly does. Yeah, and it's like, it's, uh, now you record a song, it's online. You can mm. get it out quicker, so more can be done. And the, these bands who used to record all these B-sides, the modern bands, if they've got that songwriting in them, 
they could outdo that. You could, they could be a, a band rec- release a, a, a single a week or something. Do you know, in Dystopian Sound Collective, we could, and the only reason we haven't is because of lockdown. Mm. We've got eight or nine songs stacked up, and when we started, it was just me and Daz, and uh, our mate Louise is very much a part of the band now. But when we first started, I, I was pestering the hell out of Daz, because I was... I, I was writing two, three songs a week, and if I had more time, if I didn't have to earn money yeah. to pay for food, I, I could still do. I'm not bragging. It's just that <laughs> what I'm saying is, yeah, the the ability to to j- turn around stuff really quickly now is is fantastic. Yeah. One yeah. one of the things we do with interchangeably called us DSC and Dystopian Sound Collective, just in case it sounds like I'm talking about two bands. One of the things we decide is we want to make a video for every song that we do. Which isn't exactly a brand new concept, but rather than just being us miming or whatever, each each video we make has to have a story, and it has to be interesting in some way. And we've done, I don't know, 11 or 12 now? You were in one of them. I you? am, yeah. I uh, couldn't walk. I you couldn't walk. You were, I came to film you running, and you, you, were, you were sick and sad. Yeah. Um. But uh, I think I stand out in that video because of that. So. Uh, do you know what? That's become part of the story, though, because <laughs> I, I didn't have a definite story when I came to edit that. Uh, so the fact you were walking, if anyone watches the video, the song's called Running, which should have been a clue for what I needed from you, Andy. <laughs> you didn't um, tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, if you look at the story, the, bit, the fact you're backwards, walking backwards is a part of the story. It's, it, it portrays you as the controller of, oh, see, I'm going into pretentious nonsense now. <laughs> It's a nice thing about being in the band, you can do anything, and then someone asks you what it means, and you just go, all right, I must think of what that might mean. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's cool. I mean, you've got the, the videos all out there, and that's something, you know, so about that things changing. For the better, because of YouTube, mm. more music videos are being watched. It wasn't a matter of, oh, can I, we make a video, and it will get on the chart show. Yeah. Or local bands, did, you know, local bands, would, the only way they'd show their music video to friends is if they literally had a video cassette of it and showed it to them. It's, you know, it, it gives us a lot more reach being yeah. able to make videos. We've our video views are, are over a, I think over ninety thousand now. That's brilliant. Yeah. And there is no way we would reach that many other people in any other way. Yeah. Apart from like getting on Radio One or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's the thing. It's not that that keenness. There's so there's different ways. It used to be get on top of the pops, mm. get played on Radio One. But now it's it's probably as hard work. But there's more ways to. To get yourselves out there. There is, although I'm, I am sad that I'll never do a peel session, I'll never play on top of the pops. That was kind of the two yeah, of the yeah, things that I was the, yeah. I really wanted to do. Yeah. Well, a couple of pops every Christmas. Get a Christmas number one, <laughs> you can do it. Um, I think they still do it at Christmas, don't they? Pretty sure they I do. I don't know. I think they do, yeah. Um, get to play at the peel centre, that's kind of the closest yeah, we've come Yeah, yeah that's it. but there's, there's, I think radio needs that sort of thing again. You know, um, mm. characters promoting the music because yeah. used to you know there was a guy on um in the metal scene crusher i don't know if you remember him he used to come on like noisy mothers and like, and he used to introduce the bands that weren't monsters of rock oh man that was that was like noisy mothers it was called walk, walk by pantera as the theme tune that's and the it, one. Was, it was on about half two in the morning wasn't yeah, it as everyone was wow. getting home from their drinking sessions <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's it, it's, like I said, it's it's nice talking about it because like you say you don't want to keep dwelling on the past i think Music will ever be changing. Mm. Geeks will always change, and um, but it's it's looking at to do it in a positive way and to almost try to outdo what used to be done. Yeah, absolutely. We this is the, the it's the wild west now. Yeah. We we're talking earlier about kind of putting on gigs and having to be quite careful 
about kind of the way you promote them. And yeah, people turned up, but you, it, it was quite constricted in a way. We can do what we want now. Yeah. It's absolutely, I mean, one of the things with lockdown, it sucks. I think I'm stating the obvious <laughs> there. But it is also going to wipe the slate clean. We, when, when we get back up and running, we can do what we want now. Let's make our own cool thing. Yeah, and that, that's the that's why I'm so staunchly kind of punk DIY at heart because the whole attitude that first drew me to to that music scene is don't wait for someone else to make something for you. You know, when I was an in, a fourteen, fifteen year old indie kid, the only dream we had in a band was to get signed to a major. Yeah, and like as soon as I kind of got more into punk and understanding the ethics of the DIY scene, you realise that's the last thing you want to happen, really. Yeah. So yeah, we let's make something. Let's let's just kick some ass. Let's do yeah. something new. You say that as well as the whole get signed to a major. The amount of musicians now who lost royalties and lost mm. their songs because they've done that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they basically got a wage and, you know, they might have got the promotion at the time. But as individuals, you know, I can think of some, I won't mention, but some bigger names who are fighting for the rights for their music videos. And So it still yeah. happens now. Yeah. There's a really famous article written by Steve Albini, who's the guitar, oh, he's done loads of stuff, producer. And it was, um, have you got the profanity thing on for this? Um, say what you want. Okay, well, he, he wrote a famous <laughs> article called Some of Your Friends Are Already This Fucked. Yeah. And even, you, if you Google it and look for it, it's still, it's still relevant now. Because it, it, he's in the music industry and still is. And he just said that this is what happens when you sign to a major. So yeah. you can choose not to do it. That's why bands like NoFX are so cool, because they could have done it. They could still do it now, probably, but they yeah. never did. And the fact is, they've probably made ten times as much money than a lot of other bands who have, yeah. who have kind of, you know, become household names. Yeah, actually, in a way, it's quite ironic. ironic that the sort of the punk scene. Most people who, who sign a punk band, yeah, they didn't do it for the money. They do it for the love of it. Mm. And because of the way it worked, they ended up with more money than those who, who oh, chased well. a dollar to start with. Well, exactly. Kind of being populist as. Um, <laughs> Going back to Rocky, my bandmate, he said, he says, why would I, we're talking about a um, gig we did somewhere, and we got this really repetitive part of the set, and after I said, Rocky, I said, there was like two or three people in the crowd who absolutely hated that. I think a lot of everyone else really enjoyed it, so that's why we carried on, because why would I want to do something that someone liked? <laughs> and I laughed, that it, it took me years of that filtering through my brain to kind of go, do you know what, he's right. Yeah. Because if I want to do something people liked, I'd get up on stage every Sunday with an acoustic guitar and sing Eagles songs. Yeah. I don't want to do that. No. I'd no. rather have, or either get up on stage and have people either think, what the hell is that? Yeah. Or think, that's interesting, or absolutely hate it. Yeah, yeah there's, there's enough kind of beige in life, as it were. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's, let's make it day glow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of the stuff that everyone seems to really like now start off that way anyway. Look at bands like the Stones. Possibly mm. when they started, it was like, what's this? Yeah. You know, and then now it's it's kind of, it's become bland. So I want to know, kind of some of the, well, there is no more extreme music at the moment, I don't think. I've, I've not really heard much for a little while that's really shocked me, and I've, I've kind mm. of got massively into a lot of um, Scandinavian metal, yeah. but I've not really heard anything that's really made me go, oh my God, what is that? Yeah. I want that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I want yeah, that, yes. that to happen. And it's like, I, I think it's lazy to say everything's been done. It has everything's been done. Not, you know, it's, it's different ways to do things. It's the same same in like cinema. Yeah, people people say things like, Whatever's well, my favourite film and it always will be, will it? <laughs> Maybe get out there and have a look at other stuff. Same with music, a lot of people don't it's almost like a it, for certain people it's an age thing where you just stop giving anything new a go. Mm. And that's not the way to be. You're not going to lose your old taste because you like something else. 
<laughs> but I think people are scared of this. Um, especially sort of older people I know who are into, say, metal. Mm. You know, you, they're just, you know, listen to this, oh, I don't know. And oh, I bet Saxon have released a new album, and that's good. <laughs> you know, well, they've played it just a few times. They have, indeed, yeah. But I, I, I'm always, and I think you're the same, it's like you've got, you've got the stuff you like, but you won't say no to anything what's thrown at you because you've got to give every every genre a, a, you've got to give it a chance haven't e you? every year apart from this year of course i cycle over to a festival called Brackrock in belgium and the first couple of years i went i hadn't heard of any of the bands playing there but i come home each year with two or three bands that become my new favorite bands or like atp festivals all tomorrow's parties I used to love going to those and I'd never know more than one or two of the bands playing. I've never been much of an elitist for me. <laughs> well, obviously I'd say I was when I was a teenager, but I'd get taken to these festivals by friends. And I'd always discover new things. I've got a deal going with at the moment with Simon, who's the singer of Band I'm In and Rocky, where I'm generally not that bothered. I'm happy to drive to gigs if they're out of town because I'm, you know, I'm not that bothered like drinking beer at a gig out of town isn't it I don't have to do it so I've got this deal going where they'll buy me a ticket for, for gigs they want to go to um, and they'll pay my petrol but I get to go for free and I've discovered I, loads of good bands that exactly way exactly what I do with a mate of mine I'm, I, I don't drive mm. if I'm into a band um, he trusts my taste so he might not be saying anyway <laughs> but um, if I pay for his ticket he'll drive me there yeah it's cool it's, and it's, it's, and it's a good deal yeah you don't miss any trains and it's cheaper than a train and you've got a buddy to talk to because well, yeah. a lot of these gigs I'd end up going to on my own I'm sure of it mm. yeah, and, um, but that's, that's cool as well because he doesn't drink at all mm. well, very rarely but he's into music and he likes discovering new bands yeah. and it's better than me making him a compilation tape because the tape would get chewed up anyway, would it? Yeah, you'd leave it in the sun for for an hour, and it's dead. Yeah, but yeah, we've doubled the time. Oh man, we talked for an hour. Yeah, well, forty minutes. I sort of aim for twenty, but it goes over to thirty sometimes. But just a big thanks for chatting to us. It's been it's been good. And the podcast. Have you any idea when it when it will be out, or you still? I've been lining up people to speak to today. I think you know half of them. Cads. Sorry, Cad Taylor's another bandmate of mine. Yeah. She's going to be on one of the first ones just because I'm not sure I'll have to say anything. I'll just sit in a room. Did you, did you see the one I done with her on lockdown? No. It's about half an hour. I asked two questions. I think. Oh, are you joking, Cad? Ask more. I'm definitely going to look that <laughs> up. Um, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's. I've done the first episode, which is just me sort of setting out my stool. But if you go look at, it's called Andrew Culture's podcast, and it's on Apple and Spotify and all the other ones. But if you want to know more, just go to andrewculture.com. Or if you want us to be on it, if you want to speak to me, then get in touch, please. Excellent. I'll um, try to remember to put the links on this. <laughs> if you can send them over, I'll put it under under when I share this. Cool. Which... Well, thanks for having me along. It's been a, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Nice to speak to you properly, other than just on Facebook as well. Excellent. <laughs>